Welcome to Sky Team's People First with Morag Barrett. Here, we'll be exploring the people side of successful businesses, careers, and lives. We all have a story to share, and there's something to be learned in every story. Join us to learn from authors, business leaders, thought leaders, and people just like you to uncover the latest ideas, resources, and tools to help you become more effective at work and life. As it turns out, the secret to success is cultivating winning relationships. Business is personal and relationships matter. I'm gonna get it. Please welcome Dr. Jeffrey Hull, who is the CEO of LeaderShift, a leadership development consultancy based in New York City and author of the best-selling book that we're gonna be discussing today, Flex, The Art and Science of Leadership in a Changing World which given where we're all at in 2020, I think is gonna be interesting to learn from you. He's a highly sought after speaker, consultant and executive coach with more than 25 years working with C-suite leaders worldwide. Dr. Hull is also a clinical instructor in psychology at Harvard Medical School and adjunct professor of leadership at New York University. He's director of education at the Institute of Coaching a Harvard Medical School affiliate. And Dr. Hull has been featured in Harvard Business Review, The New York Times, Investors Business Daily, and a wide range of media. So welcome, Dr. Hull. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Well, I'm looking forward to our conversation. As I said, we're going to be talking about your book, Flex, in just a moment. But I actually want to go back to the basics. <laughs> and I want to just flash back to grade school. And I'm curious, what were you thinking and dreaming of being and doing when you were back at grade school? Well, let's say I'm a long way from what I was fantasizing about in grade school. Um, but if I have to be really honest, I think I wanted to be Elton John. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you want to be on stage as a singer or is it a musician? Uh, no, piano. I was a music major, so I wanted to play the piano and write music. I thought I could compose. Um, yeah. But I definitely had the creativity gene early on. I was writing... Okay. I definitely knew I wanted to do some writing. I didn't know what I was going to end up writing, but yeah. So instead of musical notes, it's now <laughs> the music leadership that you okay. write about. Well, I'm always fascinated by people's journeys because the textbooks would have us believe that most of these things are linear path. And as you and I know, and the right. whole thesis of your book is that we need to be flexible right. and seize opportunities when they arise. So tell me more about the book Flex and the inspiration behind the title and more importantly, the inspiration behind the content within the book. Well, the content actually came first. Um, what happened was that approximately five or so years ago, after I had been coaching executives for many years, I started to notice a big change in two dimensions. One was I was getting more and more diversity in my clients, more women, more people of color, more international clients, mm -hmm. more culture, multicultural backgrounds. And secondly, I started to notice that the types of things I was being asked to coach people on was changing. Early on in my career as a coach, way back in you know, late 90s, early 2000s, I would be asked to make 
help someone become more assertive or help someone become more charismatic or help someone uh, who was introverted turn into an extrovert. <laughs> you know, okay. more and more often in more recent times, it was really to develop a broader portfolio of skills because teamwork and collaboration and multicultural teams were starting to become more normal and more um, what my clients were being asked to manage. So that led to research project through my association with the Harvard Institute of Coaching, where mm -hmm. I did focus groups and surveys with hundreds and hundreds of coaches to basically find out whether they were seeing changes also. And ultimately, I came to see, the answer was yes, and ultimately, I came to see that the evolution of what it means to be an effective leader in today's world has dramatically changed. And so I basically took some time to step back and kind of reframe what it means to be a leader in today's world, to target millennials, multicultural backgrounds, more women, but to support from kind of a coaching perspective, mm -hmm. the, the development in leadership in a much broader perspective than the sort of linear, hierarchical, dare I say, patriarchal way that we had kind of all grown up in the West. So I just wanted to really break that apart. And I also wanted to make some of the magic of coaching accessible mm -hmm. to the mainstream pop population. Whether you have a coach or don't have a coach, you can understand what goes on behind the scenes with coach. Well, I love that because I think coaching as a skill is underrated. I think there are times where it's still misperceived as, well, I must be failing if I'm working with a coach. Right. I think it doesn't matter where you are in your career or what level you are. Coaching is a skill that's invaluable, whether we're coaching ourselves, but certainly when we're coaching our peers and colleagues. So as I was Absolutely. looking at um, the book Flex and reading through some of the early chapters, you talked about the concept of the alpha leader and the rise of the beta leader, which I believe touches on what you were just talking about there in terms of the changing skills. So tell, tell us more about the alpha and the rise of the beta leader. Well, exactly. What I started to uh, notice in the evolution of this diversity, this emerging diversity in leadership, is that not only is it the diversity in terms of obvious ways, like more women, more people of color, more mm -hmm. cultural backgrounds, but also the style of effective leadership is more diverse. And the traditional approach to leadership I call the alpha, and I think that's pretty well known, right? Um, decisive, authoritative, rational, visionary, mm -hmm. all of the terms that we've all heard. Um, and I think that there's still a very important place for that kind of leadership. So I am not by any means denigrating the importance of strong visionary leadership. But I, what I wanted to do is show that there's a spectrum and that people that have come from a different mindset, what I would call a beta or beta mindset, might be more collaborative, consensus-driven. They might be tr looking to inspire and be innovative with a team less, they might be looking to be more leading from behind or a servant leadership mentality. Mm -hmm. That can be just as valid. So there's yeah. a lot of different approaches to leadership. And at the end of the day, my focus in the book was to support my clients and also anyone who reads this book 
to actually discover the possibility of being agile and moving back and forth, right? Rather Mm -hmm. than just having a one trick pony approach to leadership. I love that concept because it's embracing the concept of the and. It's not alpha or beta. It's choosing, to your point, along the spectrum, what's appropriate for this situation, this context, this person, this team, and then flexing accordingly. The opening chapter, though, is all about self-awareness. Why is self-awareness so important when it comes to being an effective leader? I mean, self-awareness is foundational. It's crucial because it all starts with a willingness to keep in mind two key components of change for all Mm -hmm. of us. Number one, you can't change something that you don't have an awareness of. Whether it's a good habit or a bad habit or a strength or a blind spot, if you don't have an awareness, then you can't fundamentally have an intention about changing it. Right. So awareness is the foundation and it starts with self-reflection. You know, what do you consider to be your strengths? What do you consider to be your habits? What do you do well? What do you naturally gravitate toward or away from? Those kinds of things. That's the beginning of a Mm self-reflection. And then the second component is no matter what you think of yourself, (laughs) we all know this intuitively, there's perception that others have. So it becomes really important to reflect on how you're viewed by other people. And so the, the foundation of self-awareness is to start to think about your, the way you see yourself and how do others see you and look for opportunities to get feedback, which I talk about in the book, so that you begin to understand whether or not there's an alignment, because that's really the key. It's not about good or bad. It's alignment. If you see yourself as alpha, but everybody else sees you as beta, then we have a disconnect. So at the end of the day, self-awareness is the foundation stone for developing a sense of yourself and a sense of how others perceive you. So what guidance do you have for a leader who might be listening to this and thinking, okay, I'm going to go get some feedback. And as you and I know, the first time a leader comes and asks for feedback, somebody's going to go, "Uh uh-oh. Am I in trouble? So how can a leader go about getting feedback that's useful? That's not just, oh, you know what, Jeffrey, you're fine, nothing. You don't need to change anything. To actually getting to the grains of truth. Yeah, that's a great question. It's something that I think every one of us is always challenged by. And yet the answer to the question is actually pretty simple, which is that if you're, if you're serious about getting feedback, then find someone you trust or, who's pers- or is at least whose opinion you value, and then ask them a very specific question rather than an open-ended question. So mm. just as an example, instead of asking your colleague when you give a presentation, how did I do? Because that puts them on the spot. They mm. may be thinking, ooh, I don't know, I thought you were great, or ooh, I don't know, I thought you were terrible, right? But they're not clear So what you do instead is you say, you know, I'd love to get some feedback on my presentation. Can you tell me one thing that you might have done differently Mm -hmm. or that I might do better next time? Yeah. Very specific information. And all the science around the neuroscience of the brain would tell us that whenever we can frame feedback positively, it's much more likely to have the chance of it actually being integrated. So that's why I said, is there one thing that I could do better? Is there one thing that I would be 
you know, that you would have done differently as opposed to, so what did you not like about my presentation? You know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, those, those are some of the tips I would use for someone looking to get some feedback. I like that. And it also limits it usually to the first best request as opposed to a laundry list. Right. And most leaders that I know, if I think even just about my own to-do list, have more than enough to do. So right. pick one thing, one new habit that you want to enhance or diminish, whichever, um, and then you can get to the rest of it another time. Totally agree. Start small. <laughs> it starts small. So after the self-awareness uh, and the concepts of the ally and um, the alpha and the beta leader, you then use the acronym FIERCE to talk about how we can best flex. So right. can you briefly share what does fear stand for and where do we start? Well, yeah, no, FIERCE is really a simple acronym as a way of structuring the six dimensions of leadership agility that came back from the research. So when I asked coaches and I also reflected on my own practice, what are the areas that the most effective leaders are working on to develop, to expand? There were basically six areas that came back over and over and over again. And very briefly, they are decision-making, which I started with calling it flexible, flexible decision-making. Mm -hmm. Intentional communication. So the I and fierce is about how you communicate, how you influence, how you impact others with your words and gestures. The third is emotional intelligence. No surprise. How you mm -hmm. work and express your feelings in group settings or with your team as a leader. The fourth was re what I call realness, which is really just a shorthand version of authenticity or integrity. So it gets at qualities like being stoic versus being vulnerable, the mm -hmm. being very closed versus being transparent, being very strong versus being very humble. So there are kinds of components of what I would call authenticity or integrity, and I called it realness. And then finally, collaboration which is key to success as a leader. You have to be able to work with people, coaching, empowering, motivating. So that dimension is called collaboration. And then at the end of the day, engaging with others, with groups, typically is an area around innovation and productivity. Mm -hmm. So the leadership effectiveness that is involved and the agility involved in, develop, in having both an innovative team and also a highly productive team are quite different and they wind up being at different ends of the spectrum of that alpha beta ratio that I was talking about. So those are the six dimensions. And I like the way that they actually group into, into pairs. So you've got that right. flexible decision making and intentional communication is all about mindset. Yep. Emotional intelligence and realness, the authenticity you described is around the feelings and the emotional side of business, totally. which I know early in my banking career, we were always told, leave your emotions at the door. And as right. you and I know, you can't do that. It's core to everything. Right. And then collaboration and engagement being somatic about the body. So as you look at that research and as you continue to apply it in varying environments, is there one of those components that you find is as important but more important than the others? That if you don't get to, then you aren't going to be that agile, agile leader and able to flex. Great question. I would have to say that I think they're all crucial. Mm -hmm. um, but the one that trips up people, leaders, 
in today's world, especially, and is relatively new on the radar screen of a lot of leaders is the somatic focus and mm -hmm. I, the, the energetic dynamic that leaders need to create around collaboration and engagement. And I think it's particularly crucial in this situation where we're doing so much more virtual work and the, the work environment is disrupted. People are, uh, there's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of um, mm -hmm. lack of clarity around what's going to happen over time with the pandemic and with other economic disruptions. So, of course, emotional intelligence is important. Of course, good decision-making is important. But what I'm finding is that those leaders that actually pay attention to the energetic dynamic with their team, even through virtual boxes like mm -hmm. Zoom or you know, other interfaces, they are going to be the more effective because they're actually paying attention to the energy of the team, the creativity, the... Um, you know, using small things like making sure they're connecting with people, even if you can't be with them. Socially, you know, we're not socially distancing, we're physically distant. Yeah. This is a theme that I'm finding I'm being asked about too with my book Cultivate is how do you nurture that sense of connection right. when we are essentially dealing through a two-dimensional um, mechanism like Zoom? Because we have the illusion of um being personal because I'm seeing into your home, but the reality is it can be transitory and it's scheduled. There's less spontaneous reach right. out. Any call you when we have a scheduled um, team meeting or whatever it might be. So what's your one piece? I'll take your advice there. What's your first <laughs> piece of advice for maintaining and nurturing that true sense of connection whilst working remotely? I, I totally agree that there's uh, challenges in trying to maintain social continuity and a sense of social cohesion when we are technically physically separated. But I do think that the small things really do count. So, for example, you know, most teams and most leaders have a, have a history of focusing on the results and on the transactions and on the to-do lists. And I would say if there's one thing that you need to make sure you're including on that to-do list, it is checking in with your team socially and emotionally because people are in upheaval and you don't want to gloss over that. You want mm -hmm. as a leader to respect and be sensitive to where people really are. And I would suggest, you know, even, even being very deliberate and intentional about it which is to ask people, tell me one thing that's going well for you. Tell me one thing that's frustrating you. Again, like the feedback question, try to be very specific. And then mm -hmm. the good news is within that context, we are sometimes in these little boxes on our screen, and that takes some of the hierarchy away because there's no power yeah. seat, right? So as a leader, you can take advantage of that. And actually, I have found many of the team meetings that I've been involved in and facilitating, you know, they do get a better opportunity for everyone to participate. And it's easier for them to remember, oh, we, make we need to make sure to we go around the room and hear from every single person. So those are the two things that I would, I would put in as sort of quick hit ways of creating that social connection. Mm -hmm. is ask a very specific question about how people are doing. 
ideally something positive, not always just, you know, what's painful, but what worked? Yeah. What did you do yeah. for enjoyment? And then yeah. secondly, make sure you include everyone. So I love that. I know the book closes with the epilogue and the call, uh, the call for belonging. And I think that's important right. is build that right. time, celebrate the joys versus dwell on all of the, the bad news that seems to be coming our way at the moment. Right. And finding ways to connect, putting time in for the small talk before you get to the big talk. And it sounds trite, but if we don't, research, as you know, continues to show we're not going to be as candid. I'm not going to take informed risk. And ultimately, the performance, not just of the team, but each of us suffers. So Absolutely. I'm curious, the last chapter in the book talks about be engaged from above and below the neck. <laughs> Tell us more about what happens above and below the neck. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of my teachers, um, who's a dear friend, his name is Tom Lutz, and I, I mentioned him in the book. He always reminded me when I was in a learning workshop with him that human beings are not brains on a stick. <laughs> you know, wherever you go, you carry this body, and the body in, has a feeling, a sense of intuition and a heart. And the reason that I framed my engagement chapter that way is because when I was working with a very senior engineering client that I write about in the book, he was feeling lost in terms of how to get his team to be more creative. And these are brilliant scientists. They're engineers. They were working in a pharmacology environment. And what all he needed to do was to remember the heart, the inspiration of where did he start his journey in the research around oncology uh, medicines. Like, why did he even want to do it in the first place? And at first he thought it was a little trite, like, oh, you want me to go back to reflect on the beginnings of my work in this laboratory work? And I said, yeah, in fact, not only do I want to hear how you got started and what inspired you, but I think you should share that with your team. And so we went through this exercise where he came to realize that part of the reason that his team was losing heart, they were losing inspiration, is because they were all working from here up. It was all intellectual. It was all data. It was all study. And they had lost sight of the why, the reason, the inspiration. And that starts here. Mm -hmm. you know, I could show it on screen, but yeah. And so the heart is really crucial. The brain is crucial too. But if you really want to engage, you really want innovation, you really want to get people moved, it has to have an emotional core. Yeah. I love it. It's the what and the why, exactly. and the who and the how. I mean, it's all important, but it's all interweaved. And if we neglect any or all of those, then we're going to have a subpar experience. Right. So in reading Flex, as we come to the end of our time together, what do you hope that re readers take away from Flex? Well, you know, I would have said the same thing to this question six months ago, but I think there's a, perhaps a little bit of an urgency to it now, given the disruption. Mm -hmm. You know, a year ago when the book came out, I was sharing my philosophy that the key to success is for leaders to become more agile, to develop a portfolio of responses rather than, you know, whatever they worked in the past, they just stick with it. Um, and I think that I still believe that to be true. That's the idea of developing agility. But in today's world, I would, I would have to add, we need to have hyper agility. You know, and by hyper agility, I mean that you need to have as a leader the ability to flex right in the moment, literally in the middle of the meeting, 
or literally in the process of making a decision to recognize that, hey, this might not be going well. I need to change. I need to be willing to step back, shift gears, and maybe do things a little bit different. So I call it the agility muscle. We all needed it a year ago. We all absolutely crucially need to develop it today because you know, you're, gonna ha- you're still going to want to get the best out of your team. You still want people to feel good about their work. You still want them to be productive and creative. And that's going to require all leaders and even us as coaches to have a much more heightened sense of agility, which is the fundamental theme of my book. Oh, my goodness. I've so enjoyed our conversation. So how can people get a hold of you and learn more about the work that you're doing and the research before, during and after Flex? Uh, The easiest way to find me is through the website, jeffreyhull.com. And there's access to various research articles that I've written and videos and the book um, and an assessment. Um, And also, As I indicated, I work as part of the leadership team at the Harvard Institute of Coaching. So their website also has a lot of really good resources, and that's instituteofcoaching.org. Thank you. I'll make sure everything's included in the show notes around this video. But Dr. Hull, I appreciate your time and insights today, and I wish you and everybody you hold dear continued health and success. Thank you so much for having me, and the same to you. Thank you so much for joining Morag today. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe so you don't miss a thing. If you learned something worth sharing, share it. Cultivate your relationships today when you don't need anything before you need something. Be sure to follow Sky Team and Morag on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you have any ideas about topics we should tackle, interviews we should do, or if you yourself would like to be on the show, drop us a line at info at skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team.com. Thanks again for joining us today. And remember, business is personal and relationships matter. We are your allies.